name we pray. Amen. Okay, disclaimer up front. I'm going to ask a lot of questions tonight, and I just want, I want us to think through some things. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, they're not uh, profound questions either. I just want us to, again, to think through some things. And so you're going to hear me ask over and over these questions. And let's start out with the question. Do you want to be used by God? Right? I, I think most everybody in the room would, would say yes to that question. And if you wouldn't say yes, you, you'd at least be open to it or you wouldn't be here tonight. And so we would say, yeah, we want to be used by God. And, and my wife tells me all the time, she says that I get hung up on words and uh, really nobody else is thinking about words like that. And so why are you so worried about, you know, what they, do they mean what they say and this and so on and so forth. And so but I just spent a lot of time thinking about this in light of the conversation that Matt had with us last week. So here's my next question. Do you want to be used by your spouse? Do you want to be used by your spouse? Do you want to be used by your boss? Do you want to be used by your parents? Do you want to be used by your kids? Do you want to be used by the leadership of this church? Do you want to be used by your government? Now, when we say it like that, we're like, well, hold on just a minute. I don't know. I feel more like a, like a tool than a person. Somebody's just going to use me for something. I don't want to be used by my spouse. I don't want to be used by my boss. I don't want to be used. But then we, we come in and we say, well, we want to be used by God, but we mean something different when we say those, those two things, don't we? we? We think something different. In our minds, we think something. But in what other realm do you want to be used by somebody? Do you? Do we want to be used by God? Is that what God wants for us? Here's what I, here's what I thought about. I thought about the fact that God used Pharaoh, but he knew Moses. I thought about how God used Saul, but he knew David. I thought about how he used Judas, but he knew Peter. And so you see this this difference, and and I want to just start with this idea before we even launch into our conversation tonight. And it's the idea that you were created so God could know you and work in and through you, not so he could use you. And we say it all the time. And I say it, and you're going to hear us say it again because it's so ingrained in the things that we say. We, we want to see God do great things in and through us. And that's what we mean when we say used. But that's what, God doesn't want to just use us. That's, that's not his motive and his desire. He wants to know us. And he wants to do amazing things in us. And he wants to do amazing things through us. And so last week, Matt spent a lot of time, and I encourage you, if you weren't able to be here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to, uh, listen to the message last week. It really has huge implications on where we're going tonight. So I'm going to recap a few things because I think it's important, but it'd be really good if you go back and you listen to, to that message. And he's really dealing with the issue of the old covenant and the new covenant. And, and it's important for us to understand what that means for a believer and what it means to be a new covenant believer. And, and really the essence of the conversation last week was this external versus internal. This, this exterior versus interner, 
uh, interior. So the exterior work of man versus the interior work of God. And he made this point, and really it was the driving point of the message was that the Holy Spirit made God personal. That the Holy Spirit made God personal. That's what he did. And here's what I want us to understand. Again, before we enter into our conversation tonight, here's, here's where, what I, where I want us to start. Okay, God, from, Gen- from Genesis to Revelation, God has been making the point in some way, shape, or form that he will be our God and we will be his people. He says over and over and over again, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so there's this theme from Genesis to Revelation that God's heart is wanting to be and to dwell among his people. Okay, would we agree with that? And we see that from the very beginning all the way up through, through Revelation. And so uh, as, as Matt talked about last week in the Old Testament, what we saw is God dwelling in, in places. We saw him dwelling in a temple. We saw him dwelling in a tabernacle. And there was his presence in that place that made that place special. Okay? And then what happened is, is, is he moved closer in Christ. He moved closer. John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means, um, it literally means tabernacle. That he dwelt among us. Now, what God has done is he's, he's dwelling in these places, but then he moves closer in the, in the person of Christ. In Luke chapter 3, 16 John, uh, he, he's, John the Baptist is, he's getting, you know, he's on the scene and he's pointing to the coming one, to the coming Messiah. And this is what he says. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he's pointing to Christ and he's saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but Jesus is going to give you something very different. And Jesus is coming up close that that Emmanuel, God with us, that God is moving closer to us. And so when Jesus is baptized, what does scripture say? In, In chapter three, verse 22, he says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And so the spirit, again, we see the spirit just his fingerprint all over the scriptures and all over what's going on. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. So we see the spirit at work and the spirit was with Jesus. And then he promised to give that same spirit to God's people. So the spirit was with Jesus. And then he, because we see clearly in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, that the Spirit is with him. That God, God came in the form of man, in the form of Christ. That God was, was among us. This is why I spent just some time thinking about this week. That, that he stepped into our world. That he came and he entered our world. That the God of the universe put on flesh and he experienced the things that you and I experience. That Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to be cold. He knows what it's like to be in 107 degree weather. He's experienced all that. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be rejected. 
He knows what it's like to experience pain, both physical and emotional. He knows all those things. Jesus wept. He cried. He experienced all those things. He stepped into our world. Even his own people, Scripture says that his own people didn't know him. That his own people rejected him. And then his own people crucified him. You think you've experienced pain? He knows pain. He experienced, he experienced that. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the rejection, in the, remix, in the midst of the crucifixion, his goal was still the same. That God wanted to dwell among his people. And so he moves closer in Christ. And then what does he do? He moves even closer. He comes in the form of, of the Spirit. He sends the Spirit to then dwell in us. And so re- religion is really just this, it's this attempt to reach God. And so we're trying to do all these things, achieve all these things, do all these things, follow these rules, do these things to, to build a stairway up to heaven. But what God does is he builds a stairway down to us and he continues to move closer and closer and closer and closer. And so Jesus didn't just come to forgive our sins. He came for so much more than that. Jesus came to move sin out of the way so that the intimate, empowering relationship with God could return. Okay? And so, yes, he dealt with sin, but sin was just the problem that has us separated from God. And so he dealt with that so that this intimacy with God could be restored. So that the empowering spirit of God could then be within his people. That's what he did in and through the work of Christ. And so our, our hero, Jesus, he endured the cross. He suffered. And this is what's fascinating to me. Jesus suffered this severing of intimacy with God. Think about it. That on the cross, when, when sin, our sin, the weight of sin was placed on Christ, he was severed from God. He was for the first time ever separated from God so that we could be made right with God and experience intimacy with God, the same intimacy with which Christ experiences with the Father made available through the Son. And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus was buried so sin could be dealt with, but so the Spirit could be made alive in us. And so here's here's the, the thing. This is the goal. The removal of iniquity for the return of intimacy. It's what it is. So then here's our next question. What is our response to this? What, what do we do? Because this is amazing. If you remember last week, Matt talked about if an Old, Te- uh, Old Testament believer, if an Old Covenant Christian would, was to come up to us and we understands exactly what we have access to and that the Spirit of God resides in His people, like they would be blown away at the fact that we neglect that so oftentimes. So what do we do? How do we respond? What is our response to this reality that that the Spirit of God, that this God made a way, that He's moved closer and closer and closer till He's eventually within God's people? What's our response? What should it be? Well, it's worship. Would you all agree with that? That the, The response should be worship. That should be what should happen in the hearts of of God's people. So when I say worship, do I mean show up to church two times a week? Is that what we're talking about? Am I talking about raise your hands in service whenever we're singing? What is it that I mean when I say worship? Because that's extremely important. Because when I say the word worship, there's a lot of different things going around, stirring around in the minds of everybody in here. 
And we're not all thinking the same thing. We're, we've been influenced by past experiences. We've been influenced by past teachings. We've been influenced by a lot of different things. But when, we, when I say the word worship, we're not all thinking the same thing. We're thinking different, we're thinking different things. And so what do you think of? What do you think of when you think of worship? What's rolling around in your head right now? Is it a ter- certain type of singing? Is it, is it a, a place? Is it, a, is it something we do or something we experience? Or what is it that you're thinking of? Well, let's go to John chapter 4 and let's just let God explain to us what a... Now, it'll be on your handout if you didn't bring your Bible. Uh, or there should be a copy of Scripture real close by in the pew in front of you. So in John chapter 4, here's what we need to understand. And I'm not going to read this in its entirety. So if you want to go back, if you're not familiar with this story, you can read. It's really verses 1 through 45. And uh, you can go home tonight and you can read that. But Jesus is a, is a Jewish man. And what he does is, in this moment, he does the unthinkable. That he, he uh, begins a conversation. He engages this Samaritan woman, which would have been unheard of in their culture. But that's what he does. And so this Jewish man engages this Samaritan woman. And what he ends up doing is he, he ends up offering her this heart-transforming living water. He starts talking about being thirsty. And then he shifts it to a spiritual conversation. He starts talking about really this heart-transforming living water. And, and what he's done in this conversation is he's done a lot of different things in this conversation. But one of the things he's done is just transcends um, cultural, gender, racial religious barriers and so all these barriers are in the way and what he does is he just removes all those barriers and so whether it's uh whether it's cultural or gender or racial or religious or whatever it is he just moves those out of the way and then he exposes in this samaritan woman he exposes in her this spiritual thirst and then you know he he starts having this conversation he says why don't you go get your husband she's like well i don't have a husband And, and so Jesus proceeds to tell her, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now, he's not your husband. And in that moment, the woman's going, who the heck is this? She's like, he's telling me all these details about my life, but I literally just met this man. How does he know all these things about me? And then she goes on, she says, the woman said, and she realizes what she really realizes here. This is not an ordinary man. And so the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's like, I perceive there's something different about you, that you're not like everybody else. And so she, she turns and she's like, Hey, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And so Jesus, and she's really dealing, well, where are we to worship? How are we to worship? What's this to look like? And Jesus just like, okay, you open the door. Thank you very much. I think I'll step right through that. So in verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to read this last portion again. It says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, question. Let's go back. What do you think about when you think about worship? What, do you, what are you thinking about? Because Jesus makes it really clear the true worship is, hold on a second, I got ahead of myself, or I missed one, didn't I? So Jesus, sorry, right, I did miss one. All right, so let's, let's address this um, point here before we move into that. Jesus' teaching sets the course for a brand new reality of worship based on the work of the gospel. That that's what Jesus' teaching does here. It sets the course for a brand new reality of worship based in the work of the gospel. It's not about a place. She makes it about a place, and he's like, no, hold on. It's something very, very different than what you're expecting. It's something very, very different than what you've been taught. It's something very, very different than what you've seen experienced. It's something very, very different because of the work that's going to take place within the gospel. And then Jesus makes it clear that true worship is not rooted in a physical location or focused around a man-made structure. Okay, so we're having this conversation of worship. We're having a conversation. Next question. What comes to mind when you think about the church? What do you think about when you think about church? What comes to mind? When you think about church, what do you think about? What do you think about when I make the statement, the house of the Lord? And I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying that if we're honest, we, we really, in a lot of our ways of thinking, we really have an Old Testament, Old Covenant view of the house of the Lord in the way in which we're to, to worship, if we're honest. And so a lot of times, the reality is, is that when most people hear the word church, they most likely think of a building. That's what most people think about when they think about church. When I say, where, where, you know, the, the common question, where do you go to church? Well, we think of a building. We think of a place. We think of a place that has a physical address. We think of a name of a particular church that you attend and that you have, you're part of that fellowship. That's what we think about. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says that, that the believer is the temple of God. That the believer is the temple of God. Address right here. Right? It's not a physical address, a street address that we can put on an envelope. The church is much more than a building. It's a people, and that's what God wants us to understand. And the word church, it comes from a Greek word, uh, ecclesia. And really what that Greek word means is assembly. It means the called out ones or the called out assembly that he's referring to a group of people. In Romans 16, 5, he says, greet also the church in their house. And so he's not saying greet. So when you came up tonight, when you walked through the doors, did you stop before you opened the door and you're like, well, good afternoon, church. It's good to see you. So, so glad to make your acquaintance. I've been looking forward to seeing you all day long. No. We understand it's not a building. We understand that we greet one another, and that's what 
That's what Paul's saying in that passage. He's saying, hey, we greet one another in, in a facility, in a building, in a place, but we're the people of God interact with one another. But the people are the church. The people are what make up this church, that make up Michael Memorial and the, the big C church as a, as a whole. Okay, and I said all that, and I know that my wife would say, why does all that matter? Why have we just spent the last 25 minutes having this conversation? We would all agree that that makes sense. Why does this matter? Why is it such a big deal? Is it a big deal? Because I agree with everything that you just said. It makes total sense. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what we know to be true. But here's my concern. My concern is that when we misunderstand, and this, this isn't on your, uh, won't come up on the screen, but I'll say it nice and slow. If we misunderstand what the house of the Lord is, then we will diminish our experience of true new covenant worship. If we misunderstand what the house of the Lord is, then we will diminish our experience of true new covenant worship. There's, there's a danger when we, we limit our thinking to a place or a building, and that we limit our worship to a place or, of, or a building, because God intended it to be much more. And if we're honest, like I said just a minute ago, we honestly do have, if we're not careful, we've got this Old Testament way of thinking. And without even realizing, we begin to project that onto uh, our Christian life today, and God never intended it for it to be that, for it to be that way. And maybe you're here tonight, and you're thinking, I, I really, I'm going to be honest with you, Brian, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I do this. I feel like I have a good handle on what worship is. I feel like I have a good handle on what God intended it to be, and, and, and not making worship about a place, but understanding that, that it's a way of life. Well, here are some things that are common within the church, some things that are said that are common within the church that would say the opposite. Now, if you say these or have said these or heard these, I'm not poking fun at you. I'm just saying this, this is evidence of the fact that, you know what, this may be a bigger problem than what we, than what we realize and what we let on to. You ever said things like, thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence? Or have you ever heard that in a church? Thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence? Yeah. We got a problem with that? Thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence. What's, what's more accurate? Thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence, or thank you, Lord, that your presence has come into me? What's more accurate? The second one. Thank you, Lord, that your presence has come into me, that I was separate from you, that, that you came into me, and now I have access to you. That I now have something I didn't have, that there's intimacy, that that wasn't there. But we say things like, well, thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence. I've had people, I don't know how many times this has happened, that want me to, they'll make a prayer request. Hey, when you get to church, will you pray for, like, there's some magical stuff that happens when, we, when, when I'm here. If I pray here, then that changes things. That's a game changer, praying in the, in the house of the Lord, right? Like that, that changes things. 
But you don't, I mean, realize that it's a very common, it's not like it's only happened one time in my life. It's happened many times where somebody, and good intentions, people just want, want, want to start, or, or think that, you know, maybe I have more access to God than you do, or Pastor Tony has more access. And so I, I just want them to pray, go to church and pray so that there's a better shot at God hearing my prayer and God answering my prayer. What about it's good to be in the house of the Lord? That sounds good. That doesn't sound bad. We can't poke holes in that, can we? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Meanwhile, the Lord has tabernacled inside his people, that he's dwelling in and among us. That the Spirit of God walked in this place, child of God, when you walked in here. That that's a beautiful thing. And guess what we should do in response to that? We should worship. And so I'm not saying if the first thing you thought of were some songs when we came in this place, that's what worship is. And you start thinking, well, sure, when, we, when the people of God gather together and we gather around this truth, then guess what? We should lift holy hands in song to the God of the universe who's made intimacy possible with him for me and you. We should do that. But it is not limited to that or to this place. And when we begin to think that it is, then we've got problems. Then we just got, we got compartments. And so what we do here is different from what we do at our workplace and what we do in our home and what we do when we're shopping or when we, whatever it is. It just, we compartmentalize things and we get ourselves in all sorts of, all sorts of trouble. And so we got to be very, very careful here's here's and so if you didn't resonate with any of those things and there's plenty we could keep going i could just hand tony a microphone and he could come up here and start telling about all the crazy things that that we say but here's the biggest indicator that i thought about as i was preparing for tonight the biggest indicator was covid it was covid when when the world shut down and we quit meeting in this place for a period of time, it revealed some things. It revealed what we really think and what we really believe. We can say, I agree with everything that you're saying, Brian. I agree. But people lost their mind. People lost their mind. And it revealed some things. When the building was taken away the people did not know what to do. And that's just reality. Some of you, you didn't know what to do. There are people who are no longer here because they didn't know what to do. And they're like, okay, well, not doing that anymore. But people didn't, people didn't know what to do. I mean, I know church leaders that they realized that they had no identity no identity outside of the church. No identity outside of the gathering, the weekly gatherings of the church. They, they had no identity outside of that. And so what it did is it, it forced us to, to rethink some things. What the church is, what worship is. To examine some areas where, where we've gotten off, off track. And so I guess for many people what had happened leading up to um, when COVID hit and everything shut down, I think that what happened is, is I think a lot of people got 
really busy doing real, uh, religious activity at a building. I'm going to say that again. I think a lot of people, and I think, you know, three years later, uh, I think for, now, I'm not saying, I feel like uh, we as a church, there are things that we don't do anymore that are different now. And, and honestly, what people wanted was just everything to go back to the way things were. I don't know that that's wise. I think that if we did that, we, then we didn't learn anything through all of all of that, that God had a lesson for us. There's some things that he wanted to teach us in the midst of what we went through. And he used it as an opportunity to grow us and to shape us and, and to mold us. But people had gotten really busy with religious activity at a building. And it goes back to what, what Pastor Matt was talking about last week. It's this exterior. And we have this tendency to get focused on the exterior. And we forget about the interior. You know what happened when COVID shut down? child of God, the Spirit of God still resided within you. And I'm hoping that you are worshiping your Creator, whether it be in your house, whether it be, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, is that, that that didn't change, that we didn't lose that, that the Spirit of God still indwelt among His people. And so that's a super encouragement for, for us. And I think, I think sometimes we forget, and then we need to be reminded because of that. That we need to be reminded that the temple is my heart. The temple is my heart. And all these are, gonna, these are all on your, all your hand out there. The temple is my heart. The temple is the gathered church. That Jesus, Jesus did not die to sanctify a building or an atmosphere. He didn't. He didn't, that, that's, not, that's not what he did. The temple is my heart. That, that, that's, that the God of the universe lives in me. And that should cause worship to rise up in the life of a believer. That that's, that that's true. That not only that, that the temple is the gathered church. That when we come together that, that the Spirit of God and all His people come into this place and we gather together as God's people and He resides in us, that we have that commonality. That's why the Scripture talks about there being unity within the body of Christ because we have the same Spirit of God that lives within each one of us. So it makes sense that there would be unity, that He did not die to sanctify a building or an atmosphere. That's not what he died for, to sanctify a building, to make this place special or to redeem this place. He did that to redeem the people of God. That's, that's the reason. And he shed his blood to redeem, to transform, to fill, and to empower human lives with his indwelling spirit. That's what he did. That's what he did. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that the temple is our heart, that the, the temple is the gathered church, that, that he didn't die for a building, but he, he died for a people. And he redeemed and transformed, fills people with, with human, he fills human lives with his indwelling spirit. I think those are important conversations that we need to have, things that we need to be reminded of. And so what are some, what are some takeaways in light, of our, in light of our discussion tonight? What are some things that, okay, in light of this, what are some things that, hey, th these are things that maybe will help 
us see other things differently. When we see this for what it is in this truth, in this reality, and we embrace this truth in this reality, well, how does this affect how we see other things? Now, I could have made a list of 10 things, but I tried to keep it narrow, and so we walk away with these three points. And so, number one, we need to be careful not to become fixated on forms over reality. Now, I know that makes no sense, but let's unpack it together, okay? Now, I know this is a touchy subject. I know it going in. I'm just going to, but it's important for us to understand because when we have the right understanding and the right perspective and we look through this through the light, right lens, then what happens is, is we begin to see our time together and what worship is intended to be. We begin to see it as God intended for us to see it. I understand that there are a lot of different preferences when it comes to, when I say worship, now when we gather together, I want you to understand that um, we're worshiping when we're singing, and we are worshiping right now as we gather around the Word of God, and we dive into the truths of Scripture, and He speaks into our lives. And guess what? We're worshiping when we leave this place and walk in obedience to what God has shown us. It's all worship. But specifically about, I mean, our time together in this place, okay? Specifically about that. I understand that we all have different preferences. I, I mean, from beginning to end, we have different preferences. And it's a dangerous thing when we get fixated on our preferences. That's a very dangerous thing. And I, I'm not saying, I, what I'm about to say, I'm about to list off some things. I, there's not a right or wrong thing that I'm about to say. There's no, nothing right or wrong. But when we, it doesn't matter. When we fixate on this, it's a problem. It's a problem. And so, you know, if we fixate on what's popular in the, in the church world or the culture and not ask, if we're not fixing our eyes on the right person, we're fixing, fixating on what's popular, we're fixating on what the, the church likes, what young adults like, what old, older adults like, when we, when we focus on maybe what my old church did or the way my old church did it or what it looks like, what worship looks like there or looked like there. I've had several conversations with, uh, with students that just graduated and gone off to college and I have to remind them, hey, quit, stop. Stop comparing every church that you go to to Michael Memorial. Just stop. You're setting yourself up for failure. It's not going to be, that's not healthy. It's not it's not good. There's some things that you need to focus on. Is Jesus, the name of Jesus, magnified? That's a good one. Is the word of God rightly divided? Eh, that's a pretty good one. Quit trying to compare it to, to, some other, to some other church or the way that somebody else does things. Don't fixate on different styles of music. Don't fixate on whether you like this arrangement or that arrangement. This instrument, that instrument. A lot of times we can fixate on traditions. So for many of you that have grown up in church, it, we, can, we can get sideways and we can spend our time fixating on the traditions of, of a particular church or styles of, of preaching. We can get fixated on that. And, and if you're fixated on a 30-minute sermon, I don't know why you're still here. Because... <laughs> I can assure you, that's not who we are. And so, 
if that, you know, but people can get fixated on different styles of preaching and, and people want somebody to, you know, just, hey, I want you to preach some fluffy sermon, make me feel good about the fact that I came to a place I can say I worshiped so I can leave out of here and I'm good until the next time we gather again at a place. And so just stay right here in the shallow end so I don't have to grow. I'm not challenged. I'm not. And then we're all good. And then we'll get back together at the place. You, you see what I'm saying? And so we get, we get fixated on those things. And we get ourselves in all sorts of trouble when we, when we do that. But when we have a right understanding, when we realize the more we understand the reality of true worship, the less will we, we will be attached to and reliant upon superficial forms. So these forms that I talked about when I said, hey, let's not get tangled up in forms over reality. When we understand the reality of true worship, as Jesus described here in John chapter 4, when God says, hey, he's seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about a place. It's, it's about a person. And when we understand that we fixate our eyes and our heart on him and we have a right understanding, then we're going to be less, less attached to these forms of worship and more fixated on the one to whom we were created to worship. Does that make sense? And so, again, going back to, and I keep going back to, you know, things that Matt said last week, but I think there's an outside-in thinking and I think there's an inside-out thinking. We get ourselves in trouble when we do the outside-in thinking. We get ourselves in all sorts of trouble because what it does is it anchors to the external aspects of worship. What I like, what I'm fixated on, these external aspects of worship. And what it does is it leads to distraction. It leads to irritation. It leads to frustration because it's not the way I like it. And I would ask the question, it's not about how I want to worship. It's not about how you want to worship. It's how does God want us to worship? That's the question. That's the question. And Jesus makes it clear. How does he want us to worship? Singing particular songs? 30-minute sermons? Gathering together on Sunday mornings? How does he want us to worship? In spirit and in truth. That's what he wants. That's the way in which he wants us to, to worship. And when we have outside in thinking, we get all hung up on the exterior points and parts of worship. And he's saying, no, fixate on me. Fixate on the fact that my spirit dwells within you. That the only way that you can worship in spirit and in truth is when the spirit reveals the one who allows us and gives us the ability to worship him in spirit and truth and enlightens us to him and his work. See, the inside-out thinking is the exact opposite of that. That Jesus is the focus and the fulfillment of our worship. It's Jesus. That he's where we fix our eyes. He's where we fixate. And he's the fulfillment of our worship. And when we gather together, this is where we fix our eyes. And when we do this, it captivates our heart. It really does. It captivates our heart. When spiritual reality captivates our heart, this is on your handout. Somehow my slides got all jumbled up when I transferred them over here to the computer. So just stay with me. 
When spiritual reality captivates our heart, our concern over superficial forms no longer sours our attitudes. When the spiritual reality captivates our heart, our concern over superficial forms no longer sours our attitude. That we understand that the people of God are gathered together. And when we gather together, we get to fix our eyes on Jesus. We come in here as children of God, but we come in here as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's unity in this place, and there's one spirit and one heart and one heartbeat. And it's Jesus and his spirit that he's placed within us. And then all of a sudden, that when we grasp that reality, then all of a sudden the forms, they, they lose their significance. They lo- and I, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have preferences and that we don't have preferences. I'm just saying it's not a big deal when you think about what Jesus has done. It's just not a big deal. All right, our second point. We must see our buildings as a kingdom tool. And we've been trying to get a tool for like three years now right out here. And we're hoping that by the end of this year, we've got a new kingdom tool. But, but understand that that's exactly what God intends for, for our facility. It's not that having a place to, you know, I don't want you to leave tonight and think, okay, well, what we do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, that's bad. And when we gather together at this building, that's bad. No, but we got to see it as for what it really is. And so it's, it's a kingdom tool that God has blessed us with a facility where we can meet, where we can gather. And it's a functional space and it's important and it's good and it's a blessing from God and we should receive it as a blessing for God. It's going to be amazing when we can gather in our new building and we can have meals on Wednesday night. And there's just something special about sitting around a table and sharing a meal together. And so that's going to be a wonderful thing that we can enjoy. And it's an opportunity for us to invite people to come. And, but it's not about the building. It's simply a, a tool. See, God wants to let's bring it back around. God wants to use this place. Right? He wants to use these facilities. He wants to use these buildings. He wants to use our community group classrooms. He wants to use all those things to glorify himself. He wants to know the people that walk in this place. Right? That's what he wants. He wants to know us. That's what he wants. I I remember, so a few years ago, uh, we moved from our, we moved, and we had lived in our old house for going, well, it was almost 20 years. um, 17 years. And so it's, it's the house that my kids grew up in. I mean, they were young when we moved into that house. They, they were young children when we moved in there. They grew up uh, teenage years. They graduated from, from high school. And then Suzanne and I were like, we live on one of the busiest roads in Socia. We're done. And so we decided, hey, we're, we're out of here. We're moving. But that wasn't an easy decision. That was a, a difficult decision. I mean, we had made so many memories in that place. I remember when we put the for sale sign in our yard, my wife started crying. She's like, okay, are we really doing this? Can we, can we do this? And, uh, and I remember it was really, really difficult. And then I remember when we moved into our new house. And uh, one of the things that's important to us is, is family. And so we gather just about every single week, you know, my sister and her family, my dad, and my stepmom, and my kids, and a, a lot of people that we've adopted along the way, and we call them family. 
um, continue to come over. And I can remember, I can remember the very first time that we gathered at the house, and we were all gathered around the island in our new kitchen. And remember, it was, it was difficult. And when we when we sold our house, uh, Mackenzie actually had her mom do a, a watercolor of the old house so that we have in our new house. We have a picture of. Um, of the old house as a remembrance, just a reminder of, you know, just all the things that God did in that place. But I remember when we gathered around the island that night, and my wife started to talk, and she just started, she just started crying. She said she doesn't cry anymore, but at that time, she, she did. So she, she just started crying. And here's why. Here's, here's the reason why. That a house is a home because we, what we experience and who we experience it with. That's the reality. See, what made that place special, where we came from, was all the memories that we made. But guess what we're doing in our new house? We're making new memories. And that's what, that's what makes it a home, what we experience within the house and who we experience it with. And so, again, this is a wonderful place that God has blessed us with. But what makes this place special is the presence of God when, when we walk into this place and that we get to experience Him in worship through singing, through the Word, through prayer, through community, through all these different things, we get to experience those things, we get to experience those things together. And when we, when we see our facilities as God sees them, then we will steward them as He would have us to. That's what God wants for us. What is it that, what is it He wants for us? He wants, to be a good, he wants us to be a good steward with what He's entrusted to us. That's it. That's it. All right, lastly. True worship is exalting Christ everywhere we go in everything that we do. So we've, we've dealt with the issue of worship. We've dealt with the issue of the, the place, the building. We've dealt with those things when we gather together. But what we've got to understand, and I, I've left this point till last, because, you know, we're here a few hours a week. Maybe five. We're together in this place maybe five hours a week. And so it's important for us to understand that that, that is not the end of our worship. That it's not just when we gather in this place, that our worship is, that our worship takes place in this building, but it is not confined to this building. That's, that's the reality. And here's what the Spirit of God desires to do. This is what He does, and this is what He desires to do. He desires to shine the spotlight on Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is not shining the spotlight on Himself. He's always shining the spotlight on, on Christ. And I know that two weeks ago when, when Tony launched us into this conversation, we began this series. You know, he spent a lot of time, so I'm not going to harp on it again. But we live in a culture who is about shining the spotlight on ourselves. That's the culture we live in. It's about shining the spotlight on ourselves. Well, that's not what the Spirit of God does. And the Spirit of God resides within us. And so shouldn't we want to cooperate with Him? in the work that he's doing. He's always shining the spotlight on Jesus. And so what should we do as believers? What does worship look like? It looks like shining the spotlight on Jesus. And that happens when we walk in this place, and that happens when we walk out of this place. That's what, 
That's what true worship looks like. That's what it's in, intended, to, intended to be. Real worship is the lifestyle and passion of a cru- true Christian 24-7. 24-7. That's what it is. Worship is a reflection in a... In a it, it's directly... It, it comes directly from a person who this enlightened revelation of the one who is truth. And who is truth? It's Jesus. And the Spirit is the one who reveals who Jesus is. And then whose life is in us. The Spirit of truth then lives within his people. And worship just looks like offering our lives back up to God. That we, in light of what God has done, in light of who he is, in light of this reality that we're talking about tonight, that we simply offer up our lives in worship in response to that truth and that reality. That we, we just celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us, what he's doing in us, what he's doing through us, the fact that we know him, the fact that he dwells in us. And we do this in front of a, a watching world. That's what we do. I was having a conversation with, uh, with somebody today, and they called me, and they were super excited. They were pumped about just They were like, man, I am so encouraged in this moment. Like, God is just doing these amazing things. And so he just starts telling me how, how God is working at his workplace. And it's like he had invited somebody to church. And since he had come to church, like, because they had been having just spiritual conversations. And then they said, hey, I'm going to come. And they came. And guess what? They've been here every week since then. And now they're having these spiritual conversations. And so they're talking about the sermon this past week. And they're like, uh, they made the comment that, hey, you could have warned me that I was going to get punched in the face. Uh, before I showed up and, and they were like well you know what I got punched in the face too and so we did that together and the spirit of God was at work this past Sunday and doing great things and it just continued over to a conversation yesterday wait a minute we're we're still talking about this and we're no longer in the place in the building at the place where we gather no God's still working he's still doing things and so we're living this out And then somebody else comes in and says, hey, I just want you to know, I've really been challenged by the way that you're just authentic and genuinely living out your faith. And it's caused me to do some reflection in my own life. And so it's just like one thing after another, after another. And they're just, what did they do? What did this individual do? Just making much of Jesus everywhere we go. And so when I show up to work, you know what there's an opportunity for when you show up to work? Worship. Worship. You know what there's an opportunity for when you show up at the grocery store? Worship. You know what there's an opportunity for when you walk out these doors and you get in your car? Worship. When you drive home, when you get to your house, the way you parent your children, the way you take care of your parents, the way you, the way you lead people in your workplace, the way you love people in your neighborhood, the way you spend time with God when nobody else is around and you just draw near to him with your heavenly father and you allow the spirit to work in your heart and stir your affections for him. Worship. Like that's what God wants. That's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot. And that's what God has done. He's made intimacy with him possible. 
He's placed His Spirit within us. And then He allows us the privilege, the unbelievable privilege. This has been said so many times from this platform. But it makes no sense that God would take people like us and impact and influence the world around us. That His plan is for us to bring Him, as Paul said a couple weeks ago, to bring Him up close. See, we can bring Jesus up close to the world around us because we have Jesus within us. That's how we do that. You realize that. The only way we bring Jesus up close to this watching world, that we, the only way that we can compel people to long for and want this Jesus that, that we make much of is because the Spirit of God lives within His people. And He's at work within us. And He's at work around us. And we get to play a part in that. And we just offer our heart and our lives back to God. We understand that, that our, per, our lives were purchased at a high price. And so our response to that reality is to offer it all back up to God. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Here's what the, the Holy Spirit loves. This is what He loves. He loves to celebrate Jesus. And He's delighted when we do it too. He's delighted in the fact that we celebrate, that we celebrate Jesus and what He's done for us. And so what, what does that look like? It looks like an opportunity for worship everywhere we go in everything that we do. There's an opportunity for worship. There is. And sometimes we just forget. And we get sidetracked. And we go to our workplace and we make much of ourselves. We, we go to wherever it is. We go in our neighborhoods. We make much of ourselves. We get on social media. We make much of ourselves. We, well, the Holy Spirit is about celebrating Jesus, about making much of Jesus. And so if we're going to reflect this life of worshiping and cooperate with the Spirit of God, then we've got to make much of, of Jesus. But in that moment and in that environment and in that setting, everything can be worship. Everything. And so we got to get out of the old covenant mindset that it's not about the presence filling a tabernacle that we are the tabernacle man what a what an unbelievable gift what an unbelievable truth what an unbelievable truth and we get to offer up our lives in worship to the one who made that to made that possible so i'm i'm grateful i I want you to i want you to hear me this is the last thing i want to say i'm so grateful for every opportunity that we get to be together I really am. When we come in this place, when we gather around God's Word, when we, when we get to huddle together, I love huddling with just me and God. I love that. When it's just me and Him and I get to hear from my Heavenly Father. But I love when we get to gather together and God calls us all in. And he says, hey, come on, guys. Come on, family. It's family meeting, family time. Y'all come on in. I got something I want to say to you guys. Hey, come in. I want you to, I want you to do what you were created for. See, the, the question isn't, are you worshiping? We're all worshiping. We're all, we were created to worship, and we're all worshiping something. Every single word, one of us. We're worshiping. The question is, are we worshiping the right one? Are we worshiping the right thing? Are we worshiping the right way? That's not the issue is whether or not we're worshiping. And when we gather in here, God's saying, come on in. You guys worship. Come around. Gather around the Word. You guys worship. Lift your voices. Sing about the goodness of God. Do what you were created to do. And when you leave this place, 
Just do what you were created to do. We get to do that. We get to do that together. Let me pray. God, thank you for, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making it possible to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that, God, that we would worship not the way we want, but the way you want. So thank you for the conversation we've had tonight. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. Thank you for the work that you're doing through this study as we just try to gain a little better understanding of of who you are and what you want for us. Everything that we've talked about, everything that you've done, you come closer and you came even closer and you came even closer. God, because you want what's best for us, what we were created for. And so, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a God who is for us and for your glory. God, may our lives reflect that. May we make much of Jesus everywhere we go and everything that we do for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.